Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. You can find this in your bulletin and on the screen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alightening on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today uh, we are doing exactly as Maggie says in the video. We're going to be beginning a new series that we talked about earlier, Holy Habits. Habits, again, easy to form, hard to break. The hope is that each of us during this series, during this little season of our church, would take on some habits, some practices, disciplines, means of grace, whatever you want to call them, and make them part of our daily rhythm and daily life. And the idea is that these habits would, in fact, nourish and sustain our lives of faith as we attempt to follow in the way of Jesus and embody the way of Jesus together. Uh, Habits, of course, work. (laughs) And as we put these into practice, habits like maybe it's prayer, like the, uh, the prayer of the cross, the Jesus prayer, or um, scripture, reading scripture, practicing generosity or silence, solitude, even things like worship, we will find ourselves being transformed uh, or, or maybe to use the language of the Apostle Paul, conformed into the likeness of Christ. Uh, so today we're going to begin with worship. You'll notice as we go throughout this series that we say three words a lot. You hear it every week on Asbury Now with Amy. It's worship, serve, and grow. So we broke up this series into six weeks, two weeks on worship, two weeks on serve, and two weeks on growing. And today we'll begin with that lane of worship, but also the habit or practice of worship as well. So let's just get into it. Um, according to Matthew's gospel, John, uh, who is Jesus' cousin is an interesting guy. Uh, He's become known as the baptizer. He's moved out to the wilderness and set up shop along the banks of the Jordan River. And he's got some disciples with him, a band of followers with him who is, he is teaching in his way of interpreting the scriptures and way of living. Um, Interesting diet of locusts and honey and things like that. And people are coming out to John to the Jordan River. And I think some of them just to kind of see the spectacle of who is this crazy looking preacher. But also some of them are interested in what he has to say because he's preaching repentance. Not only that, he's got some pretty harsh things to say about the political rulers and the religious leaders of his day. But he's also baptizing people as well. And so Jesus shows up one day and he wants his cousin to baptize him. This is where we pick up in our passage that Margaret just, excuse me, read for us. Uh, They have a little bit of a back and forth. John is like, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, sorry, you have to baptize me, brother. And John does. John dunks Jesus under the water. Uh, 
And as Jesus comes up out of the water, this incredible thing happens. We're told that the heavens open up and the spirit of God descends upon Jesus and alights on him or rests upon him like a dove. And then we're told something else, that the voice of God, God speaks and people hear what God has to say. And God chooses to say in this moment, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right here at Jesus' baptism, if you weren't sure before, you now know who Jesus is. He is the beloved son of God, and God is already pleased with him. We don't know much about Jesus' life up to this point. We have a few stories here and there. But as far as we know, he hasn't really done anything yet. No miracles, no Sermon on the Mount, no healings, nothing of that sort. And yet God says, I love him and I accept him already. This is who Jesus is, the beloved son of God, who the father is already pleased with, loved and accepted before ever having done a thing. And it's in this moment, right here at the beginning of Matthew, that the gospel has a turning point. It takes a turn. See, from here on out, Jesus' entire life, every word he says, every action he puts into place, all that he does comes out of a deep knowing of exactly who he is. He is deeply and dearly and intimately and infinitely loved by God. And Jesus's whole life would be lived from and in response to such a love. Now, I want to argue, or at least submit to you right here at the beginning of the sermon, that for the Christian, this is exactly what worship is. This is what worship is. It's our response to love. Worship is our response to love. That's love with a capital L. I say a capital L because the scriptures attest to the fact, to the reality that God is love. Worship is our response to such love. Now, before we move past this or through this passage too quickly, I want us to pause for a moment and understand a really important truth. And it's easy to miss in this passage anyway. It's easy to miss if we're not paying attention or looking for it. It's easy to miss if we simply don't want to receive it. And the truth is this, that what is said of Jesus right here at his baptism is said of you. What is said of Jesus is said of you. It's said of me. You are a beloved daughter of God in whom he is well pleased. You are a beloved son of God in whom he is well pleased. That is who you are. That is the very core of your identity. You are beloved. You are loved deeply and dearly and intimately and infinitely by God. And your response to this truth, your response to this love is what we call worship. And I'm just going to say this, last time it hit me as I was working my way through the sermon, I kind of said it towards the end, but I want to say it right at the beginning just so you are aware. This is not going to be a very practical sermon, okay? I'm not going to give you a lot of like, and this is how you worship, and this is what you're going to do next, and this is what we're going to do in five minutes, and this is what you can do at home. 
It's on the habit tracker. Grab one on the way out. Uh, you go to our website. There's plenty of ways. You probably know plenty of ways that you worship already, but if you need a jump start, grab one of those. This sermon serves as a chance for you to understand a little bit more about what worship is, to kind of hone out a little bit and see it, hi choir, and see it more for what it is and also have a better understanding so that when you do it, you know what you're participating in. This is more of an inspirational preachy sermon, okay? But the question we have for us this morning is what do you worship? What do you worship? Uh, if you've spent any time in church whatsoever, or maybe you've been to Sunday school, then you have an answer memorized when I ask that question. What do you worship? Jesus, right? Sunday school answer. And if that's you, well done. I hope that's all of us. But if it's not, if you don't worship Jesus and you're still here with us today participating, God bless you. I'm so glad that you are here. You are welcome here. And I hope that is true for all of us, that we do worship Jesus. However, I want you to consider the question again and be honest with yourself. What do you worship? Really? We all worship something. What is it that you worship? If you're unsure, then consider what is it that you spend most of your time doing? What is it that you are constantly thinking about or maybe worrying about? What is it that takes up most of your time? What is it that you spend most of your money on? What takes up most of the mental space in your head? If you don't know what you worship, these are pretty good indicators of what it might be. So it could be something like Alabama or Auburn football. You can laugh or not, but it's true. It could be your job. It could be that person you so desperately are desiring their approval or attention. It could be your bank account or money in general. It could be knowledge or your intellect. It could be power or some form of control. It could be sex. It could be body image. It could be politics. It might even be God. We all worship something. What do you worship? This is an important question to consider for a number of reasons, but one really important reason is this. You will become what you worship. You will become what you worship. And that is why we are spending so much time on habits, holy habits in particular, right here at the beginning of the year. Because what habits do, or rather, this is why forming things like habits, good habits, holy habits is so important because what habits do is they reorient our hearts and our minds and our desires, yes, our very lives, back to love, capital L, love, but also to loving God and loving others as ourselves. Such habits rightly formed, I'll say it this way, such habits rightly formed, they're a means to an end. The habits themselves are not the end, uh, or another way to say it is they're not the goal. We, we all have a goal, but habits are what help us reach that goal. And our desired end, or our goal, if you will, is God. It's communion with God. It's life in and with and from Jesus. So what habits do is they help us reach that desired end or that desired goal. And a habit like worship, for example, worship has the ability to form us into the likeness of Christ. Even when you don't notice it, 
Even when you don't notice that it's happening, worship can form us into the likeness of Christ. It nourishes our relationship with Jesus. It leads us deeper into communion with God. There was a really good book that came out, I don't know, a decade ago now. It's one of my favorite books to this day. It was written by a guy named Jamie Smith or James K.A. Smith. The book is called You Are What You Love. And in it, Smith is talking about this idea of worship. And here's a quote I'd like to share with you. It's a little long, bear with me. Not too, too long, but Smith is talking about this idea of worship. And he says, worship works from the top down, you might say. He says, in worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires. I love this language. This is the arena in which God rehabituates our loves. And this is important. This is the part of the quote I actually want you to like keep in your mind. He says, worship isn't just something we do. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. And I chose the whole quote this morning because honestly, I don't think I could say it any better than that. Worship is not so much something that we do as it is the place where God does something to us. Think of it this way. Worship is the posture that we take in order for God to love on us. Think of a little child, maybe your grandchild, your, your son or your daughter. What do they do when they're younger? They hold their hands up. And what does that mean? Pick me up, right? Hug me, hold me. This is our posture with God so that he might better love on us. Or as Smith says, worship is the posture that we take for God to remake and recalibrate and reform and rehabituate and retrain our very lives. I want to remind you that we worship the God who made himself manifest among us in the person of Jesus Yesterday, uh, January 6th, is the day of Epiphany in the life of the church. We have a church calendar as a church, if you're unfamiliar with that. Epiphany is the season of the church after Christmas. Christmas isn't just one day for us. It's 12 days of feasting and celebrating. And it ends with the day of Epiphany. So today is the first Sunday of Epiphany. And, and wouldn't you know it, the text for the day is the baptism of Jesus. Just happened to work out that way. Um, and, and Epiphany is the reminder for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that God made himself manifest among us in the person of Jesus, not just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles, for the whole world to know who God is and what God is like. This is the God that we worship, the God who lived among us and ushered us into the kingdom of God, who invited all people again, that's everyone, to enter into this kingdom through his way of love and peace who is willing to be crucified, murdered, killed on a cross by us that we might know what such love looks like and then was raised from the dead that we might have life 
and have it abundantly. This is the God we worship. And we have much reason to worship. So when we talk about something like the practice of, or for our sakes in this series, the habit of worship, what we're talking about is the result of a transformed mind and a transformed heart. That is a transformed life. This is what we find in Paul's letter to the Romans. This is our spiritual worship. It's our lives as a living sacrifice. Worship is the reception of, or rather our reception of the good news that we are already loved that we are already loved more than we could possibly imagine, that we are already accepted for who we are before we've ever done a single thing. This is a love that is totally unearned, and quite frankly, it's a love that you and I can do nothing about. We can't earn it, but we can't give it away either. We can't change it. We can't do anything about it. And worship for us, once more, is our response to such love. So I wonder, what would happen if you believed that today? What would happen if you really believed that you are a beloved daughter of God in whom he is well pleased? What would happen if you really believe that you are a beloved son of God in whom he is well pleased? What would your life look like Better yet, what would your worship look like? What might change? And what if for the first six weeks, six-ish weeks of this year, you really committed to this sermon series? Not because we're so good at preaching. I know you days off, it's fine. We're not that great. Okay, we're pretty good. Maggie especially is really good. But what if you committed to this sermon series and decided that, you know what, I am going to take on some habits this year. I am going to take on a new practice or add one or take one away and add a different one. And I want to see what would happen. What do you think would happen? What might your life look like at the end of this year? I want to end with some good news. And that is you... (laughs) are loved deeply, dearly, intimately, and infinitely by God. You are of great worth and value. You are known more intimately than you could possibly imagine. And I want to invite you to live like it. Live your life as if that was really true. And the result of a life lived like that is worship.